Let's go ahead and pray. And Father, we, uh, we come here Sunday morning to celebrate uh, that God who gave his life for us, uh, who rose from the dead on the third day, who was our perfect heavenly father. And uh, right now, we just beg you to speak to us through your word, Lord. Uh, you know the circumstances of our hearts. You know the things going on in our lives. You know the thoughts of our minds, Lord. Um, and you desire to address those through your word, through your spirit, Lord. So do that now. We ask you in your mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Go ahead and grab your Bible and find Acts chapter 8. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 8 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we got a tub of them up here. If you don't have a Bible, you need one. So there's a good chance that... Yeah, look at Zach and Scott, two of our exemplary fathers among the few that we, many that we have here at the church. I said few and I meant, you know, whatever. I didn't, I, it wasn't trying to take a shot at you guys. All right, let's get started. Acts chapter 8, if you got a white or a blue Bible that we handed you, it's page 534. We're going to start in verse 26. We've been in Acts chapter 8 for four weeks now. So, uh, and then we had Stephen teaching in the middle of that. So it was, it's been a minute. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in here. So I think it's very helpful. Um, maybe you haven't thought through this uh, very much. Uh, so it'll sound odd to you. But the majority of the life of a Jesus follower is not spent learning new things, but being reminded of things you already know. So... You know, we, we do this thing and we would call it something like a Bible teaching or something like that. The reality is that not very much of what I actually say this morning is going to be teaching you anything. It's going to be reminding you of something you probably have already heard. Like, there's moments in your life where you recognize for the first time that God loves you or he's forgiven your sin, uh, but then most of the rest of your life following Jesus is being reminded of those things, learning to apply those things in new circumstances and situations and areas of your life. And so, you know, if there was like a pie chart uh, of the, the Christian life, the Jesus follower life, it'd be this little tiny sliver would be actually learning something new. And then the big majority of that pie chart would be being reminded of things uh, that God has already revealed to you. So I say that because today we're going to read an account that will remind us that just God does really cool stuff. You ever, you ever go through one of those things in life and you're just, oh yeah, God just does really great stuff. Like our job, God just does miracles and cool stuff and crazy circumstances. And he's a miracle working God. He loves people. Uh, a few other great things that we should be reminded of this morning. So we're going to do that starting in Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 26. So here we go. It said, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert Place. So we're jumping into the middle of a thing here. If you remember, there was a persecution. Uh, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. His 12 disciples kind of hung around in Jerusalem. Jesus hung out with them for 40 days, said, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. So after Jesus went back to heaven, the disciples were witnessing in Jerusalem. The church began to grow, and there became a persecution on the church. And so they actually had to scatter uh, for fear of their life and things like that. And ended up, Philip went to Samaria. 
Samaria was kind of the, the country next door. The capital city uh, uh, was called Samaria, as well as the country. So he's in the city of Samaria. Uh, people are getting saved. People are responding to the gospel. People are starting to follow Jesus with their whole hearts. Some high-profile people are starting to follow Jesus. Like we read last week, Simon the sorcerer, who everybody knew was a mag magician, did really great things, called himself a man of God. And so this stuff is going really well. And then we get to verse 26, and the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. Now, a couple of things that you need to know about this. First, it's far. It's not like he just said, like, go across the street. Uh, from Jerusalem up to Samaria uh, is like 40 some odd miles. And God is telling Philip now to go from Samaria back on the other side of Jerusalem uh, because the road from Jerusalem to Gaza is like southeast. Samaria is like northwest. So he's going all the way down the 42 miles. So there's a couple days of walking or donkey riding or whatever they're doing, hoverboarding, right back down to Jerusalem to the other side to the desert road that goes between Jerusalem and Gaza. And so this is not close. This is a long ways. The second thing, it's a desert. We're told it's a desert place. They didn't say it's a desert like in a positive manner. Like usually when people say it's a desert, it's never positive. Like, you should go there. It's a desert. It's like, it's a desert, right? Like, what's between Phoenix and Tucson? Desert, right? Like, it's never like, desert, right? And so this is the same thing going on here. Nobody lives there. That's the problem, OK? Nobody lives there, which is weird if the God you claim to be following has called you to be a witness to the ends of the earth to people. You know, if God's like about people, it's weird that he would call you to a place where nobody lives. And then the third thing. Philip has a good thing going on here in Samaria. Like, this is a fruitful and productive ministry that is happening. What is taking place is people are following Jesus. People's hearts are being changed. People are being a light and a witness to the gospel. There's joy in the city. And God says, hey, it's time to go. Which, if you think about it, is probably the only appropriate time to go. As Christians, we're not called to leave something just because it's hard. Right? Happy Father's Day. You're not called to leave your family because it gets hard, right? Fathers can say, like, yeah, we've been through some stuff, right? But we're not called out of it. If it's going good, then maybe the Holy Spirit is leading you out of it. But difficulty is usually not a sign that God's calling you to leave it. So despite all of this, beginning in verse 27, we read, and Philip rose and he went. Good for you, Philip. Your obedience, because this is not how it usually plays out. Calling someone to a great effort out of their comfort zone in a place that doesn't make sense to them with no further instruction, with no second step in mind, is not usually how it plays out that that person actually walks in obedience. Why? Because we want the whole plan before we take one step. Anybody else like that? God's like, go to the desert. We're like, mm, what's in it for me? Like, what's out there? Why would I go out there? I kind of want to evaluate your plan, God, before I sign up for it. Right? I don't know. I don't know. Like I want to like we're gonna do a risk reward evaluation. I gotta make sure I get good return on my investment. Like, how's this gonna like work out? How's it gonna play out? How how are these things gonna end up for me and my family and my plans? And then I'll think about maybe if I'm gonna do it. Right? We want assurances. We want to make sure we're gonna be comfortable with how it's gonna end up. And God doesn't work like that. God very often just gives you one step. And then he waits. Right? And then, you know, people come to church a lot of times. I don't know what God wants me to do. You don't? 
It's very possible. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of putting words in God's mouth here, but he's like up in heaven, like, I told them what to do. They just haven't done it yet. Like, do you really not know what to do? Maybe God's up in heaven, like, I told them to get in a small group six months ago. I told them to break off that relationship. I, I told them to get their butt to church. I told them to stop doing that thing. I told them to start being generous. I told them to start loving their wives. I told them to start loving their husbands. I told them to reconcile. I don't know. Right? There's a lot of times where God's like, here's the next step. And we're like, well, what's step three, four, and five? And he's like, you'll find out when you take step one. Most often, it's because we think we know what's going to happen when we take step one. God's like, go to church. Eh, I've been to church for five minutes. And so we don't do it because we think we already know. And yet, Philip had been to the desert probably a million times. He knows what's out there. But what God's going to do in this calling is going to be unique and supernatural. And so we do the things God calls us to do. And then when we get to where he's called us to be, he gives us the next step. So look at what happens. Philip takes the first step, goes out to the desert. And the end of verse 27, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So the, there's this high-ranking government official in the desert. Okay, um, I'm not going to touch the eunuch word, right? If you don't know what that is, ask your parents. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Maybe you were unaware there's a large community of Jewish religious Ethiopians. Okay, so this is historically a long, been a long like journey for them. There's been Jewish followers, well, not followers of Jesus, I was, but uh, followers of God in Ethiopia for a long period of time. And they don't know exactly where they came from. There's lots of legends about, you know, King Solomon had a baby and blah, 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 blah. Probably not a lot of truth to some of those things. We do know that King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba uh, had an interaction. That makes it sound dirty. Like they knew, like they had a visit. It wasn't necessarily sexual that we are told in the Bible. And uh, later on, when the Assyrians came and conquered the land of Israel, they came from the north. So it makes sense that they fled to the south. That's probably where this group of Jews ended up coming from. But they're Ethiopian, uh, probably meaning black skin. Not looking like most of us, right? Not the light-skinned, white European version of the Bible that so often we kind of interpret in our minds. These people don't look like us. Um, and so as he was returning, verse 28, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah and said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip gets out there to the desert, and he looks over, and there's this high-ranking official driving his caravan through the desert. So this, imagine this, right? You woke up this morning and God's like, I want you to go to Ritzville and take a left. And you're like, there's nothing out there. It's like, just go. And you're like, okay. So you go out there and you get out there and there's like a limousine and like some secret service cars like around the limousine. And God's like, walk over to the limousine. You're like, okay, I guess we're doing this, right? So that's what Philip does. He walks over. He gets over there, and verse 30, Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah. So Philip gets there, and the government official from Ethiopia is reading the Bible, and not just reading the Bible, but reading it loud enough 
for the people standing next to the chariot to hear, like loud enough for everybody around to hear. This is incredible. So what does Philip do? Philip gets on his knees and says, dear God, now tell me what to do. No, Philip doesn't do that. Right? There was moments where Philip took the next step waiting on God, but now it's perfectly clear God has called him to be a witness and a light to the ends of the earth. So Philip asks him this, verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation from his life? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? It's like incredible, these questions this guy is asking. It's like leading him right there. Then Philip, verse 35, opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they're going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I started this morning's message telling you that this would be something that you probably needed to be reminded of, right? Like, these are the types of incredible things God can do. These are the types of inexplicable circumstances where it's just too perfect to be random that God specializes in. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that our God writes some incredible stories with people's lives. Like this is the kind of stuff God does over and over and over. And if you look at the story, there are so many ways that God orchestrated this on both sides too. Both sides of the equation, God is working. Like he's working in the Ethiopian's heart. The Ethiopian has to be, happens to be going that direction, happens to be reading the Bible, happens to be in that portion of Isaiah, happens to be seeking, like, what is this talking about? Who is he talking about? Philip happens to be evangelizing, led by the Spirit out to the desert. Like on both sides, God is just over and over and over just laying the steps in front of the people to see this take place. Like, I think if, in my mind, if God had come to Philip at the beginning and told him the whole plan. Hey, Philip, I'm actually going to use you uh, to reach the royal family in Ethiopia with the gospel. Philip would have been like, oh, okay, let's do it, right? Got to brush up on my Aramaic. Uh, like, I got to figure out, like, how I'm going to get down there, how we're going to live, like, what do they eat? I don't know what kind of clothes they wear. I got to get into the culture, got to make some friends, got to build relationships, right? Honey, we're moving, right? We'll, you know, get into the royal family, find out where they live, what city are they even in? I don't know, we'll figure it out, right? He would have been making all these plans, figuring out the steps, how to evangelize, and God was like, actually, um, just go out to the desert. I got it. Right? Because we do this thing where we think we need to solve all of God's problems when he tells us to do something. God's like, go do this. You're like, but what about A, B, and C? And God's like, oh, you're right. I never thought of that. <laughs> right? Like, we need to, he's good at his job, if you didn't know that this morning. Be reminded of that. Like, he can solve his own problems. We just need to be obedient to what he's called us to do. And talk about a slam dunk. When Philip gets out there, the guy's reading the Bible already. He speaks the language. 
He didn't have to get the Aramaic, I don't even know how to say it, the Ethiopian language. He didn't have to figure that out. He didn't have to figure out, like, how am I going to communicate the scriptures to this guy? The guy it's like already set up like an alley-oop. And the guy, every time Philip just asks him a question, the guy comes up with like a better answer than Philip could even hope for with the question. Do you know what you're reading? No, would you please get into my limousine and explain it to me? Like, Okay, like, is this guy talking about himself or somebody else? Somebody else. His name's Jesus. Well, there's water. Let's get baptized. And Philip's like, this is incredible. It's just like the story is writing itself. Why would God see fit not only to do this, but then to remind us of this story by recording it in the scriptures? Why do we need to be reminded of the God who does this type of thing? Think about it. If you were Philip, and this you just watched this whole thing take place, would you be more or less encouraged to go share your faith and be obedient at the next city? How many of you think more? How many of you think less? Yet nobody said less for those who are watching online. Everybody would be encouraged by this. You watch these things happen, you go, this is awesome. This is incredible. And look at what happens. Exactly that happens in Philip's life, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Being reminded of how God does incredible stuff like this is so life-giving. It gets you fired up. And, and to be honest, sometimes church people need to be a little fired up. Now, there's extremes, right? There's that group of us that, you know, are kind of always too fired up. And you're like, oh, back her down a little bit. But the, the majority of the kind of like Orthodox Christian community is pretty serious and pretty reserved. Right? And we do stuff like communion. It's really sad, and we need to take it really seriously. And sometimes we need to be reminded the joy of the Lord is our strength. Like, He does miracles. Like, this is a really cool story. It's okay to smile in church. It's okay to be like, yeah, let's go. Let's go tell somebody how good our God is. And I think that's why He tells these stories the way that He does. Now, let's bring it back in. How many of you read this and think, This is really cool, Jared. I just wish I could see God do some cool stuff like this. How many of you read this and be like, yeah, like, I just don't think God does stuff like this that much anymore. Like, I like the miracle stuff and like the cool, like working things out, but I just don't know. Well, I think that's a common reaction. People are like, yeah, God just doesn't do that kind of stuff, or he hasn't done that stuff for me, or I wish I would see more of this. And I'm telling you right now, that's all baloney. One of people's problems is they have terrible memories. Terrible memories. So I talk to people all the time, and they'll be like, yeah, I wish God was doing more. And I'm like, wait, didn't this happen in your life? Yeah, well. And what happens is we get further away from something incredible that God has done, and we do a couple things. We like rationalize it in our mind, and it gets like less incredible, you know, the more times we're exposed to it. And then we just kind of forget sometimes. And sometimes I need to remind myself of the incredible things God has done. It's actually why we named the church Riverstone Chapel. 
Because in Joshua chapter 4, they bring, God has done this incredible thing to bring them out of slavery across the desert into the promised land, across the Jordan River. And God says, stack the stones so in a time to come when your kids ask, you could tell them, God did this incredible thing. And we have terrible memories. So we had to stack rocks to help us remember. Because otherwise, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I look through this room and I just see over and over and over stories of God doing things exactly like this. Exactly like this. They're sitting in the back row. We moved here. Our neighbors right next door. Like that summer, God sent like an incredible crop of berries. Like in the history of Spokane, berries have never grown like this. And they grew across our fence. And so me and my son are out there picking berries. And we hadn't met the neighbors yet. We're like, these are incredible. I hope they're not mad at us. We like have bowls of berries. So my son's out there picking. And the neighbor comes out. And she's like talking to my son. And then my son comes in. And he goes, we need to invite her to church. And I was like, I'm the pastor. Like I came here to plant a church. But I didn't want to be the weird neighbor that's like, you know. Because when you come to a place and say you're starting a church, everybody thinks you're a cult, like, immediately. So I was just like, I'm trying to be a good neighbor. And Toby's like, give me a card. I want to give it to her. And so she did. And Joe and Krista have been here since the very beginning of our church, right? And I lived in that house. I lived in that house for three years, and we never had berries like that again. Every spring, I was going out there like, where's the berries? Never again. Never again. Like, I, I, I. I'm trying not to use everybody's name and just throw you on the internet. But like, there's stories of guy shows up to Spokane. His very first day in Spokane, he goes for a run. And he's like, I hear people singing about Jesus in the park. Right? He's been at our church ever since. Another guy came to the park, was going through a really rough time in life. It was just like, ah, like I need to clear my head. And he just go in the park. He's sitting in the park. We set up church in the park right next to him. He's like, is this a sign? He's been at our church, plugged in ever since, invited small groups, seeing God do. Yeah, how about this one? Four years before we came and planted a church here, Megan and I were praying about it. We felt like, you know what? I feel like God's called us to plant a church. We don't know where. I get here. We're on vacation. I'm visiting my family. And my, one of my family members knows a guy whose son was really sick. And so my family member was like, hey, will you come to the hospital and pray for this kid? And I was like, I'm on vacation. I mean, I'm not like a jerk. Well, I am a jerk. My wife will tell you. For, pray for her. But I was like, I'm on vacation, really? And uh, so anyway, I do it a little grudgingly. And I, like, I show up at the hospital, and the husband's there, and he's married to this woman from Turkey who doesn't speak great English. And she's just kind of sitting in the corner, and they're both just crying like crazy. And so I start talking to the kid, uh, and... Um, I was like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, not good. Doctor said I'm real sick. I'm not going to make it. And I was like, well, do you realize what's going on here? I was like, I kind of shared the gospel with him. I was like, you know, this world's broken. Like, God created everything perfect. And there's some good things left, but most of it's broken and corrupted by sin. And that's why you're in the hospital. Your body doesn't work like it was intended to work any longer. It's, it's sick. It's broken. But there's good news. Jesus came to fix that. He came to give us a hope, and he died on the cross. And to prove that what he did to fix it actually worked, he rose from the dead on the third day. So he gives us that hope that like our bodies aren't going to die forever. Like He's going to resurrect us. And so I went through that whole thing with him, and I prayed with him at the end. I said, you believe that? He's like, yeah, I think I do. And he's probably like a seven or eight-year-old kid. And so we prayed, and we walked out. And my wife's like, how'd it go? And I was like, I think that kid just accepted Jesus. I was like, I'm not sure. He's like, 
I'm just here on vacation. Like, you know, I told him to go to a church and all this stuff. So four years later, we moved here. We planted the church. Never thought anything about it. That family member, I don't see a ton. And their friend, I don't know how great of friends they were. So we go to a Thanksgiving dinner. And who shows up but this kid and his mom, which I had never talked to his mom. I had only talked to his dad for a little bit. And he was crying so hard, I barely got any words out of him. So uh, his mom ends up talking to Megan at this dinner for like an hour. And I was like, what are they talking about, right? Uh, and so we, after the dinner, we get in the car on the way home, and she starts to unroll this story, right? We prayed for the kid. The kid ended up getting better, right? Then the kid was like, we need to go to church. We need to go. Mom, take me to church. Mom, take me to church. Mom takes me to church, takes me to church. Mom gets saved. Now she's leading a Bible study at her church in Coeur d'Alene. Like, God is, like, overwhelming her. She's talking to my wife about the Bible for an hour, Right? Just because I was here on vacation. It was like, I don't know. And I had a bad attitude about it the whole time. And God was still like, ugh, this guy. Right? <laughs> God does cool stuff like that over and over and over and over and over again. And there's story after story. I go through almost every single person in this room and remind you of incredible story after incredible story of God providing and doing these things. I remember when we first moved here, my wife was like, let's sign Toby up for soccer. Toby really wanted to play soccer. I hate soccer. It's not my favorite. I do not love it, right? <laughs> I hate Soccer is not the thing. And so she's like, you should be a coach. And I was like, ah, I don't want to be a coach. And so it kept getting closer and closer. And then we got an email like the day before practice and said, your son's schedule is canceled because we can't find a coach. And so, you know, I get the puppy dog. So I coach soccer. It's summer soccer of like six-year-old kids. We lost every game by a million. We were terrible because I was the coach. But there was only three kids on the field at a time. So there's only six kids on the team. Four out of the six kids on the team, their families ended up coming to help us plant the church. Right? Just be over and over and over. God does incredible stuff like this. And I don't know why we read these miraculous stories of God working these circumstances out. And people think to themselves, God doesn't work like this anymore because it's false. It happens all the time. But I do know we need to work to remind ourselves of this. And that's why this story was so close to my heart. I read this. I was like, I've seen this happen. I've seen. I am reminded of how good and incredible and great God is. And he's working circumstances out. And people show up and they're like, I've been looking for a church for two years. And you moved in next door. Your sister invited me. And like it happens over and over and over again. Now. That's one reason why so many people think this doesn't happen that often. Let me tell you, it does happen that often. Another reason that people go, I'm not sure if this happens that often, is because we aren't sure that God speaks to us. Like, Jared, I would be really on board with going to the desert if I was super certain that God was calling me there. Like, how do we discern if God's telling me, like, you should go to the desert, or if this is like bad sushi from the weekend? <laughs> right? How do we know the difference? How is Philip certain? Well, there's a couple things I want to point out. First, this story is written after everything took place. So as Luke is doing the interviews, Luke's probably just going to Philip and the people that were involved, and Philip is just telling him, yeah, God told me to go to the desert. So I went to the desert, and then God told me to go to the thing. But there was maybe some uncertainty in the moment. Very few times, at least in my experience within the church and just knowing people the way that I do, does God speak to somebody, and it's like we're robots. We're like, 
God has told me to go to this thing and I am doing it. Like, sometimes we think that's how it happens. Like, there's just this incredible certainty of like, yes, God told me this, so I'm going to do it. That's not always what we see in the scripture. In fact, uh, in Jeremiah 32, I'm going to put it on the screen. I know it's a sidetrack, but I think it's super important for us to kind of learn this lesson about the way God speaks. Read with me this real quick. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Now, Jeremiah is a prophet in your Old Testament, kind of a big deal. The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, buy my field that is at Ananoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hananel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is at Ananoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And then at the end he says, then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So what we see here is a story in Jeremiah. He gets up in the morning. He's like, I just have this weird thought in my mind that my, my cousin's going to tell me to buy this land. I just, I don't know what it is, but I just kind of feel like God's saying, your cousin's going to tell you to buy the land. All right. And then his cousin says, hey, come by my field. And it says at the end, then I knew it was the word of the Lord. Then I knew it was the word of the Lord. Because what happens is sometimes we have this feeling where like, I think maybe that's God. Like, I, I think that maybe was God, but we're uncertain. We're like, well, how do I decide whether or not that was God or not? And then we're like, because we're uncertain, we're like, oh, probably wasn't God. Probably wasn't God. Here's some, uh, I got a four-part uh, kind of uh, qualifier, I don't know what you call it, questionnaire of sorts. Like when I feel like I'm hearing from God or I feel like God is calling me to make a decision or God is calling me to make a plan, here I run through these four things. They're not in your Bible, but they might be helpful for you if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're like, is this God or is this not God? You can throw them up here. First, what does the Bible say? Like is what you think God is calling you to sin? Because if it is, then it's not God. God's not leading you. It's sushi, and you should find a new restaurant, right? I think God has called me to marry my secretary and go to Key West. Nope, he hasn't. Just, that wasn't God. That was something else. That was Satan, right? The Bible says very clearly the way God feels about marriage and keeping things together. And so God is not going to circumnavigate his word to give you a message by his spirit. Like, this is just not how he's going to go. So what does the Bible have to say about it? Is it sinful? Is it not sinful? Like, it's, that's super black and white. And this, by the way, is the only one of these questions that is like, like game changer. Like, yeah, that's a deal breaker. If it's sinful, it's off. It doesn't matter what it, the, any of the other questions say. I don't care what everybody else says. If it's sinful, it's not from the Holy Spirit. Second thing, what are the motivations of your heart? Like, why are you trying to, why would you be doing this? Right? Is there some financial gain? Like This is one of those where you got to be honest with yourself. And sometimes we're terrible at being honest with ourselves. So we'll get to the last one when you ask people around you. Like Maybe they'll reveal some motivations of your heart. But what's going on in your heart that you want to do this? Is there some pride going on here? Is there some comfort seeking going on here? Are you making this decision? You're scared if we went a different way, something would turn out that way? Like I had this person call me one time. This is a true story. God's calling me to the mission field. Whoa, really? God's calling you to the mission field. How come? Well, I have a crush on this person, and they're with this certain agency in this country. And so if I join that agency, I can go live with them and see all that God has. Mm, nah, it's not. Probably not. Right? 
God calls people to the mission field. And yeah, he uses different means and methods. But probably like hot guy or girl is like low on his list of ways to call people to the mission field. Just saying, right? The motivations and intentions of your heart need to be evaluated. People do stuff for financial gain or increase in status, or they're just seeking comfort, right? And they think, oh, this is all God. It's like, ah, I don't know. Like, those seem like pretty worldly passions that are ruling your heart right now. It's amazing when you go to Bible colleges how many times God has told, like, three quarters of the guys at the Bible college that they're supposed to marry the prettiest girl on campus. <laughs> amazing, right? You got to navigate those intentions of your heart. Third one, spiritual activity. Like, are you spiritually healthy? Like, what were you doing when you felt like God was leading you? Were you praying? Were you reading your Bible? Were you hanging out with people who love Jesus? Or it's like, I was at the blackjack table, wasted. And God told me to go to Maui and plant a church on the beach. <laughs> like, probably not. Like, just guessing. Like, people do this, right? They're like, now, sometimes, like, people end up in very bad spots and, like, New Year's Eve, and they're like, what am I doing with my life? I'm wasted. I'm here with this girl I don't even like. This is like a revelation of the depth of your sin, and God is very clearly like, get yourself out of this thing. But, like, as far as this, like, spiritual, prophetical leading, like, huge, uh, you know, calling two things, like, you got to be careful about what you're doing spiritually and how the health of your spiritual life is taking place when you feel like God is calling to you. Both of these guys in our story, what are they doing? Philip is evangelizing. We know that the apostles are spending lots of time in prayer and preaching what? The word over and over as they're going. That's one side of the equation, Philip being led out to the desert. And the Ethiopian is going to Jerusalem to worship God and then reading his Bible on the way home. Right? These are usually the key result, like key ingredients in God doing something really cool. And then the last one I usually go through is, what do people who love you and love Jesus say? Find some people who love you and love Jesus, not one or the other. People who love Jesus but don't know you at all would probably be like, yeah, here's kind of what I think, but I don't know you. Right? People who love you but don't love Jesus always give you terrible advice because it's usually self-motivated, not biblically balanced. So people who love Jesus and love you, run it by them. Again, not a deal breaker, but a good idea. The Bible says in multitude of counselors there is wisdom. It doesn't mean we need to take a vote on everything, but just see what they say. So these are the, some of the things that I run through when, when I feel like God is leading me to do something or, or calling me to do something that feels like it doesn't make sense. Now, we have this great reminder in the scripture that God does and is doing cool stuff in the world as we speak. So the moral of the story is we should all go out and start doing things and then telling everybody that God told us to do them. Amen? Ready? Break. No. That's not the moral of the story. It's not. In fact, if I could, like, if I had, like, a little tally sheet and I was like, the people who told me God told me to fill in the blank on the left side, and then the people who didn't say anything and God did something really cool on the right side. Uh, the left side would be filled with a whole bunch of people that God told me to, and it actually didn't end up happening. And the right side would be filled with a whole bunch of people who God did really cool stuff in their life. 
And, and I don't know why that's worked out the way that it has, but usually when people are like, God told me to, it usually, those are the kinds of people that I'm usually suspicious of, because in my experience, that's not everybody, but in my experience, that usually doesn't work out well. The people on the other side who say, you know what? I'm not sure why, but I just have this feeling like God is calling me to do this. Those are the people who you, God usually does really incredible stuff. But here's what I want to finish with. We tell people at this church that the word of God is sufficient for the entirety of their lives. We tell people that the word of God is the way that he has chosen to reveal himself to and communicate with mankind. But now we have a story where Philip could read the Bible till he was blue in the face and never know that there was a high-ranking Ethiopian government official waiting in the desert for him. He could have memorized the entire thing and have no idea that that was out there for him. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Are we supposed to go, yes, the word only, word only, Bible only? Or are we supposed to go, because there's this other group of Jesus followers that are like, see, you Bible people are so limited. We should just wander around and like feel the spirit and see where he leads. And here's, where we've, here, here's how this all fits together. The Bible tells us to be led by the Spirit. The Bible tells us to be led by the Spirit. So we do read the word. We do study the word. We do see that the word is all sufficient for our entirety of our life. And then we go out. And if you say, what direction does the Bible want me to go? The Bible says be led by the Spirit. It's kind of like sailing, right? Which is an apt comparison because Jesus said the spirit is like a wind, right? You don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going, but God chooses. Sailing, you could read a book on sailing and, and sailing's actually pretty complicated. You can't just go out on a lake and sail. You need a boat, you need a sail. You need something to steer it with. You probably need a keel. Right? You need a rudder. You, you need these things. And the, the book's going to tell you all of that. Get a boat. Find a wind, a place where the wind is blowing. Raise the sail. Set the sail at the right angle. Sit on the right side of the boat. Because if you're sitting on the wrong side of the boat and the wind blows, you're going to tip over. You know, Point the boat in the right direction. Now, when the wind blows, you will catch it and it will propel you. And the Spirit's the same way. I joked earlier about the guy who was sitting at the blackjack table, wasted, thinking the Holy Spirit was telling him to plant a church. He's got no boat, no sail, and he thinks he's sailing. And there's so many people out there like that. But the word of God tells us, you know, these are the things that need to be in place in your life that should be taking place in your life. You got a boat, you got a sail, it's raised, it's at the right angle. Now let's just see where God takes us. Like, that's the picture that the Bible and the Holy Spirit work together. There's things in there that you can limit the effectiveness of the Spirit in your life, limit your ability to hear and be sensitive to his leading, and there's things that you can increase the things that are going on in your life as far as the Spirit is concerned. I believe God wants to continue to do cool stuff in this church. I believe God wants to continue to do cool stuff in your life. And it's kind of like sailing. We read the word of God, we get the things in order, and then we walk out the doors and we go, How, what does it look like to do the things God has told me to do? I don't know. Depends on where the spirit's blowing. Right? Some of you guys are going to end up all over this city this afternoon. 
It's Father's Day. You're probably going to go out to lunch. You're going to go picnic. You're going to go to the lake. You're going to go, I don't know what's open, Laser Quest or something, or bike ride or motorcycle. I don't know what you're going to do. But I promise the Spirit's not going to leave you alone there. There will be people there, people to talk to. There will be relationships to invest in. Like the Holy Spirit will continue to do these kinds of cool things. You will be in a spot this week or this month or this year and where you're like, oh yeah, I remember Jared just talking about that thing on Father's Day where God's just working on both sides and like does this incredible thing. Like let's just raise our sails and get the boat and see where God leads us. Does that sound like a good plan for the church? Sounds like a good plan for me. Here's, here's where we're going to finish. A couple things you need to know as we close. You know why God sent Philip to the desert? Because God loved the Ethiopian. Think about that for a second. God loved the Ethiopian enough to bring Philip from Samaria down to the desert. And, and then you know why God sent the Ethiopian back to Ethiopia? Because he loved the people in Ethiopia. We need to get this upside down kingdom mindset where God calls us to be servants. Jesus says the least is the greatest, right? Because the reason God called Megan and I to here to plant a church is because he loves you guys. Like the point wasn't us. The point was you guys. The reason he's called some of you to be servants and volunteers here at this church is because he loves the kids that he brings and the new people that are going to come in. Like we need to get our mindset of like, God loves some people in this city. That's why Riverstone Chapel exists. Second thing, doesn't this take the pressure off? I joked earlier about how like, we think we need to solve God's problems. Like, Read this story. Does it look like God needs you to solve his problems? Or does it look like he just needs you to be sensitive to what he's telling you to do? Right? And, and we get in this thing where, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I should have said that. I should have gone here. Oh, my gosh, I got chicken nuggets instead of a Big Mac. I don't know what's going to happen. Right? Like, calm down. God's good at his job. Like, you just listen. You get your sails up, and you just watch what he does. And the third thing I'm going to finish with is this. As a church leadership team, we have identified some things we'd like to be better at. Uh, and one of those is serving our community. And so uh, we started a thing during our last kind of season as a church called Focus 12. And Focus 12 was a 12-day uh, time of prayer and fasting. We were just focusing on one specific thing. Like, like, hey, God, reveal yourself to us in this. And so one of the things we've identified that we'd like to get better at as a church is, is loving on this community and being engaged with this community. And so we're going to start tomorrow a 12-day period of prayer and fasting. And so this is going to be a time where we're going to be like, all right, Lord, what do you want to do? What are you leading us to do? Let's get our sails up and the boat in the water and point it in the right direction and see if you can write some cool stories. And so we're going to be praying uh, through this entire 12 days. It's going to start Monday. It's going to end the following Friday so that you could eat for 4th of July. Um, and so uh, you're going to see some stuff on social media. We're going to be posting like little prayers that you could pray each day. You could join with us in a whole bunch of different ways. First and foremost, you could pray, right? Check out our social media pages, Instagram and Facebook. See what we're praying about. We're going to have a little teaching and prayer time each morning. Uh, so you can kind of follow along with us in that. You could fast with us. Uh, if you want to fast the whole 12 days, do it. Uh, if you're like, whoa, I don't know about that. All right. 
scale it back to whatever fits for you. For like our kids, I'm not going to make my kids not eat for 12 days, but there's probably a day or two over the 12 days where we're just going to skip a lunch and say, hey, the church is praying right now. We're going to pray too. We're going to take this time where we usually eat lunch and we're going to pray instead. You do that maybe every other day you skip lunch or three times in the week you skip lunch or you skip, I don't know, uh, ask the Lord to lead you in, in how you can join with this church in praying that he would make a way, make it clear to our hearts and our minds what he's calling us to do in this city because he loves this city. I think that's why we're here. And so we're going to finish. Jake, you can come on up. I realize I went four minutes over, well, probably more than four minutes, but it was worth it, right? To be reminded of how cool God is, the cool stories he's writing. Uh, We're going to spend some time, 30, 40 seconds in prayer. Maybe you're way back to the beginning of this message. Maybe God's been calling you to do something and you've been resisting. Maybe you haven't been obedient like he's called you to be obedient. Or maybe you just need to be reminded of the cool stuff he is able to do. Or maybe you just need to be reminded of his love for you this morning. Like maybe the whole reason that this church exists is because he wanted to communicate how much he cares for you this morning. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. Uh, But let's spend maybe 30, 40 seconds in prayer to ourselves, asking God those questions. Are, Are there things I'm not being obedient in? Is, is there something you want to reveal to my heart this morning, Lord? Is, is there a way that you want to communicate your love to me so I can communicate your love to somebody else? Let's go ahead and pray right now.